Hello and welcome back to another episode of the DigiTalks podcast. As always, I'm your host, Natalie, and today I'm joined by Sarah Camalengo. Hello, everyone. Sarah's first podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she looks pretty comfortable, though. I feel like um, you might surprise yourself here. I hope so. I really hope so. <laughs> oh, come on, you'll be right. Let me give you the rundown on the lovely Sarah. With over eight years of experience in the marketing and comms industry, Sarah knows a thing or two when it comes to a well-rounded brand strategy. Having worked both in-house and agency side with some of Australia's leading brands, Sarah's no stranger to bringing big ideas to life. Currently... She is the brand manager for 23rd Street Distillery, one of Australia's most awarded distilleries. It's very yummy too. It sure is. What did, what did you get um, named last week? We got Distillery of the Year for second year running. See? Good Love shit. To see it. <laughs> First of all, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I want to just go like way back to the beginning. Did you always want to work in marketing? Um, I think for me, like... Being in school, I feel like that last sort of final year, year 12, everyone's like, oh my God, what am I going to do? All my friends seem to kind of have a clear cut plan as to where they wanted to go and what they wanted to do, be a teacher, be a this, be a that. And I was kind of like, I don't actually know like what I wanted to do, but I always knew I kind of loved like art, design, creative thinking, and just like being a people person and talking to people and sharing stories. I feel like I was always that sort of kid in school and I'd just kind of float around different groups and <laughs> talk about different things and like try and spend time with like, you know, not just always my my circle of friends and always just try and get to know people, understand their stories, share stories. So yeah, I feel like I kind of knew that I wanted to be somewhere in that creative space. And then, you know, you get your uni booklet and you have your uni selections. I was like, Hmm, marketing looks fun. Sounds like it ticks a few yeah, boxes. Yeah, so I was just kind of like, cool, picked it and like fell in love with it instantly. And I was like super surprised because I, I just didn't know if that was going to be my bag or not. But um, yeah, that's kind of how it all happened. I didn't really have marketing in mind. You don't get taught that at school either. That's been a really common thread, you know. It's not something that is posed to us as an option. Yeah. It's, um, you know, nurse, doctor. Yeah, all the like... Accountant. <laughs> exactly. All the sort of standard jobs. And yeah, marketing just doesn't really get taught, especially kind of when I was in school as well. Um, business was a thing. We had like, obviously, um, I had this subject like information processing and publishing and it was all web design. And like, that was kind of probably the closest thing Very to marketing. innovative. Yeah. So I think from that, that's kind of where I, yeah, and talking to a few people in the industry as well um, was super helpful. And yeah, I, I'm just super glad I made that choice because I definitely haven't looked back. Do you feel like what your expectations of working in marketing were versus from uni as to now? Do you think there's a difference? There is so much difference. Um, I think there's definitely fundamentals and like principles of marketing that I still use like every day, you know, like things like the marketing funnel. Totally. It works. I'm like, I've got it literally pinned up to my to my desk. Because that's never going to change. Literally. Yeah, I think the fundamentals I still apply, but also learning from a textbook versus actually going out into the real world is super different. So I think, you know, getting that industry experience while you're in uni is so important. I wish that's something I did. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, going out into the workforce, I was like, shit, this is different. Like, this is very different. So did you not do much work experience or any internships I did during your time? Yeah, I did a few. Um, I just wish I had done more and yeah, for longer okay. periods of time. 
And I think I was just so focused on studying and just understanding the fundamentals and so deep into like textbook that I at times neglected that stuff. So yeah, like, you know, that's kind of, you know, anyone that asked me for advice, I'm like, get industry experience. Yeah, could not agree more. Could yeah. not agree more. I think, you know, I even had someone ask me the other day, um, what mark like what marketing course or what would you recommend for someone who wants to work in social? And I said, to be honest with you, go and work, go and do some work experience exactly. first. Work out if it's actually what you want to do. Then if anything, I'd probably recommend doing some sort of foundation of mm. marketing yep. study understand those fundamentals yeah. and then then you can learn all the other things while you're on the job because everyone works so differently as well. Yeah, it's so true. And like, yeah, I find that once you've got that sort of base, you know, you, you do marketing and then you can specialise in different things. Yeah. So if you, if you do marketing and then you want to move, you know, specialising in digital, you can do that. If you want to specialise in production, you can do that. But having that foundation marketing piece is like super important and you can use it in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah, I could not agree more. Did you ever feel like when you first got into the workforce that you kind of fell into that marketing coordinator, little unicorn? Yeah. Like yeah. Jack of all <laughs> trades. Like, do some social media. And then today we're going to do some media planning. So I think I actually found, like, I learned so, it was like when you're in, the, in that role, you, you're like a sponge. Totally. And you just sort of get, I guess, equipped to all different facets of marketing. And I think that's what, like, that's where... Obviously, you continue learning along the way, but I'm like, out of any part of my life, I'm like, I feel like I learned so much and the most there because it's like you're actually exposed to so many things because, you know, your leaders kind of want to expose you to that because they know, you know, you kind of need to get that full rounded experience to then be able to sort of choose your path and where you want to go. Um, So, yeah, I found it super insightful like those first few years of entering marketing I was like wow like there's so much to do what did you take away was there like a particular area that you were like yep this is it this is my passion I think um being able to kind of take on say a campaign from you know ideation all the way through to execution and then saying like hey I did that I came up with that and these are the results we've achieved and being able to sort of present that back to the business, like when those moments happened, I was like, this is what I want to do. Like yeah. I want to take ownership of, you know, whether it's a product or a campaign and be able to kind of report that back to the business and be like, I did this and we've achieved these results. And yeah, I think it's pretty powerful, isn't it? It's so good. Yeah. I'm glad you talked about product. Let's talk about your current role mm-hmm. a bit more. So what is a what does a brand manager look like? I think you're the first one, by the way, on on the potty. Oh, that's exciting. I think you tend to wear a lot of hats as a brand <laughs> manager because it's like you're a manager. So you mm. manage all these things. But I think, I guess the crux of what I do is kind of, you know, overlook the marketing strategy for the year, although that always sort of changes. But, you know, making sure that we're c- reviewing that, you know, our progress as we as we go on. So, you know, you create a strategy. Cool. But a year, a lot a lot of things can happen. So it's yeah. making sure that we're constantly reviewing like those milestones and, you know, maybe every quarter and things like that. So just making sure that you're not just creating the strategy and then setting and forgetting. It's never locked and loaded, right? No, no never. So that's probably a big part. Also, you know, making sure that we're keeping up with the market trends all the time because they change so often, you know, especially, I don't want to say COVID, but that had a massive... <gasps> C word. Yeah, literally, <laughs> but... It had a massive effect on, you know, consumption, you know, for us with spirits and alcohol, you know, there was a massive spike. And now as it's starting to taper off, 
that's, you know, it, it's, it's not even a decline. You're finding it's just a normalizing. normal, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, making sure that we're looking at as well, you know, what your competitor set's doing, you know, where you can find those gaps. And like I say, you know, doing a SWOT analysis, that's something I learned in uni and I still utilize. Never underestimate it, right? It's something so simple. I actually did one with a client um, the other day. Yeah. And she was like, are we really doing this? I said, yep. yep. Taking it back to the old school. <laughs> tell me your strengths. And she was like, I can't, I don't know. I'm like, I'm not leaving till you tell me. Yeah, <laughs> it's I, literally. And for me, I always find brand storytelling is like such a powerful thing and something that often gets neglected. So for me- I couldn't agree more. Yeah, like that's kind of trying to, um, that's been my ethos is trying to build that story. And, you know, for a brand that's as well, you know, known- so much, so known and loved here. It's how do you grow that brand? And yeah, that's a big part of, you know, what I'm trying to do as well is growing the brand, not, you know, outside of just SA. Yep. And that's a, that's a challenge, as I'm sure, you know, you would see with your clients as yeah. well. It's such a challenging thing as well in a market that's super saturated and you have so many competitors. Um, yeah, I find that's a big part of what I try to do, yeah. but the most challenging. How do you juggle competitor analysis? Because I think at the end of the day, you know, you need to be paying attention to what they're doing. It's the nature of the beast. Yeah. Um, but there also is a thing called competitor obsession, right? Mm. Like you, you can get so fixated on what someone else is doing that subconsciously you almost start doing things that they do or you're yeah. always comparing to them. How do you kind of find that happy medium? I think it's, yeah, like it's important to not try and obsess over and try and be something you're not. I think you know, for us, we've built a brand that we kind of have our own voice. We have our own, like I just did a course actually, like a luxury management course. It was a two-day thing. It was awesome. And um, the professor kind of talked about building your history, building your brand DNA, building your own codes, but making sure that they're different to your competitors and that you're not kind of just copying what everyone else is. Find your own voice. Yeah. And go with that. And, you know, there might be ideas that you see that your competitors are doing, but it's like, all right, cool. Is that going to work for us? Probably not. Or how how can we kind of do find our own gap? thing? Yeah. 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 So that it's challenging. It's super challenging. But I think once you've like, once you build that foundational piece of who you are as a brand and building those codes and that DNA and that history, that's what's going to help you set yourself apart from your competitors and not just be a sheep that just does whatever they do. Will not just be a product, right? Because mm. again, I say it all the time, in the absence of differ differentiation, the customer will shop on price. Yep. So if they see two products on the shelf and they'd have no brand affinity towards yeah. either of them, there's a high chance they're just going to shop on price. Exactly, yeah. You mentioned something really interesting offline before about, you know, the, the customer journey and from mm. a retail perspective, how people actually select products. What, what have you taken away from a lot of that research? It's so different. Like, you know, for us, we have a massive portfolio. You know, we've got white spirits, we've got dark spirits, we've got cans, you know, RTDs. You name got, it. Yeah, you name it, we've got <laughs> we've it. We've got Uzo. Yeah, yeah, literally. So it's, it, everything is so, like every category is so different. But what we're finding um, is people tend to shop, you know, on flavour. People shop on packaging. Obviously, price is a big factor. I'm just taking price completely out of this. Yeah. But also on the brand credentials as well. And if they... Huge in that industry, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So it's like, all right, cool. Well, why am I going to buy an $80 gin if I've never heard of them? So that's that's where that awareness and foundation building piece is so important and so hard to kind of build. But once you kind of get that framework and every market is different too. So, yeah. you know, you look at SA, this is what our consumers do here. 
Then you look at Queensland and they're a to- it's a totally different ball game. So it's being, trying to be across everything and trying to cater to all your markets is super important. Like we might have products that will be great for our SA market but won't work over there. Well, it's like, how do you... Well, yeah, that's the million dollar question, questions. right? Because yeah. you almost need a different strategy for each market because, yeah. yes, people will respond to things differently. Yeah. Um, and obviously some products will do better in different, but then, you know, when the goal is to expand into new markets, how on wow. earth? <laughs> research, research. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it must be amazing to see the data that you do have available and to actually understand yeah. patterns and trends and things like that. Because otherwise, you know, I think, think back to how they would have done, mm. done it back then. It yeah. would have, it would have just been trial and error. Yeah, literally. Yeah, it's, it's. And we're so lucky and fortunate as well. You know, we've got sales teams in every state. So, you know, we've got their insights. We get, you know, our sales data. We get data from retailers and stuff. So you kind of can see. And, and it's about spending, investing the time to actually look at that stuff too. And not time just, consuming. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And you can easily just put it to the bottom of the pile because there's a million more things that you can be doing and prioritizing. But it's also so important to invest that time to understand. It's how your brand grows really is understanding the market Full scope. Yeah. Well, this is the whole thing, right? There has to be business outcomes. Yeah. We can sit here and be marketers and be creative and come up with all these great ideas, but if it's not actually driving the outcomes that the business mm. A needs to survive, yeah. but also B wants to actually get to where they want to be, then we, the, what we're doing kind of becomes redundant. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's the relationship between, I'm glad you mentioned, obviously, the, the sales team. How do the sales and marketing teams work together? Because that is obviously a huge part mm-hmm. of having a product-based business. Yeah. It, it's challenging because every retailer and every market wants something they different. Do their own thing. Yeah. And it's so hard because then, you know, you've got your sort of independent sales channels. So I had to laugh. You said indies in an email the other yeah. day. <laughs> and one of my girlfriends said indies the other day too. And I was like, what? What on earth is indies? And I was like, sorry, like I'm probably being a bit dumb here, but I'm like, indies question mark. And she's like, oh, sorry, sorry. Independent. I was like, and then when you said it, I was like, I know what this yeah. means. Like, I didn't have to write back and ask what. I know. I know it's all the terminology. But um, yeah, so you've got your indies and then you've got your national channels, but then you've also got all your states too. So, you know, you get, you know, we have reviews that come up every so often in white spirits and dark spirits in your RTDs. And it's like, all right, you know, our retailer wants something different. They've kind of mentioned that they'd love to see this. And it's like, cool. All right, we'll explore that. But then it's not going to work, you know, for the for the other channels. So it's like finding that gap where you're kind of trying to please everyone can be hard. But at the end of the day, I always say you've got to think about what your consumers want, not always what, you know, everyone's kind of telling you to do. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to get caught up in like, you know, maybe someone in the business thinks that you should do this. And you're like, cool, that's actually a good idea. But hey, does our consumers have a want and need for that? Probably not. So yeah. is it going to, is it going to work? Probably not. Um, so yeah, it's business outcomes. Correct. So yeah, the consumer is the most important part of making decisions, I think. And yeah, like it's, it's hard to please everyone, but at the end of the day, it's, it's researching the markets, understanding the trends and what's actually working and what's going to work for you as a brand. You know, you can see trends that look great, but if they don't actually fit your brand, then it's not worth doing. Yeah. So it's pick, actually... Pick, just, your, pick your poison, right? Yeah, correct, yeah. It's, I'm, I'm glad you said that too, because, you know... I, you know, when we work with a lot of businesses and they say, yeah, this is what we think we should be doing. And it's like, well, actually, you're not the customer. Yeah. Can we step back and actually think about who is your target audience yeah. or who is 
you know, not even who is your target audience, who is your historical customer? Mm, yeah, <laughs> who yeah. are the people spending the money? Because they're the ones that we need to tap into to actually go, all right, yes, this is an opportunity for them. These are the people that yeah. we should be talking to. Yeah, 100%. Because we can all sit here, you know, you could sit here and go, we need to do whatever fairy floss flavoured gin. Yeah. If there's, I might have just given you an yeah, idea. Like, but cool, I'm going to note that down. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. The tropical gin's where it's at. Yeah, absolutely. Just hint here, everyone. <laughs> yeah, we should have, we should have had a couple of bottles here for promo. This episode's brought to you by 23rd Street Distillery. <laughs> um, I sounded a bit radio there. I know. I was like, good voice. Um, but it's it's as a business owner or as someone who works in a business, sometimes you almost get too close. Yeah. Um, how mm-hmm. do you find stepping back, particularly in the product development phase of going, cool, I know the ins and outs. How do I step back? Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that because I'm literally like was just going through this process with some, I can't reveal what yet, but top um, secret. Yeah. Keep your eye out in uh, August. Um, but yeah, just going through like the new new product development process. It's, it's a very sort of rigorous process that we go through in the business. And so many people are involved. You know, we have sessions, you know, every month about bringing this product to life. And so many people have an opinion on it because you've got your production, you've got your ops people, you've got marketing, you've of got course. sales, you've got everyone. So everyone's in the kitchen. Yeah, <laughs> everyone has an opinion and it's so easy to kind of like, you know, you spend some time talking with people about this product in the business and they're like, I don't think it should be this, it should be that. And you're like, oh, okay, maybe they have a point. Like mm. maybe they're actually right. And, you know, I, again, with this sort of new product stuff that I'm working on, that's what was starting to happen with me. And I was like, I just had this wake up moment. I was like, shit, I'm, I'm tailoring this product to almost to be like Dan a Frankenstein. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, no, like I've got to step back. And yeah. then I kind of took a moment. I was like, I need to pause. I'm going to actually go out in, in trade. I'm going to go out to the stores again. And I just need to validate my, you know, Guts. what I came up with at the start based on the research that I did, which yeah. was all consumer-led. So I went back out there and I was like, okay, tick, tick, tick. And then I was mm-hmm. like, all right. And I did a bit of bit more research as well, like, you know, sort of my version of a focus group. And I just did that with different people and consumers and, and just kind of asked them, like, how, they, how do you shop in this category? And then everything they kind of said validated what I had kind of come up with at the start. And then I was like, okay, I actually feel confident I've made the right choice. And then the next time I presented back in the business, I was like, this is what we're doing. Here's the research. And then it was kind of all systems go again. So it's just taking that moment to pause and not doubting yourself. Like when you've got the research to back you up at the start, back yourself all the way through and don't try and, you know, get caught up in what everyone thinks is best. Because as a brand manager, that's why you're in your role. And just being true and backing yourself is really important. It's hard though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's so much easier said than done. You know, I'm sure over your um, career, there's there would have been times where you would have doubted yourself. Yep. Um, and how how over the years have you built up that ability to be able to back yourself? Because I mean, you know, I'm 10 years in and there's still times where yeah. I look at something and I'm like, I, I think it's it. Yeah. But maybe it's not. not it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I think it's a big like resilience piece as well. And I don't, doesn't come overnight and I'm just a, personally like a people pleaser. So oh, I, you and me both. Yeah, like, I knew I liked you. <laughs> yeah. I find it so difficult sometimes to like say no or pull yourself out of it. But again, it just comes back like you just really need to have that ethos in your mind of 
trying to, you know, you know, you're not in this business to try and make everyone happy. You're trying to be in this business to make your customers happy. And that will help you grow the brand. Like I think it's just coming back to that ethos and being, yeah, being true to yourself and believing yourself. And it like, like it doesn't happen overnight at all. And it's just trying to build your resilience. I think as I've progressed through my career, like that's just kind of come naturally. So uh, yeah, I think, I guess my advice to anyone is like, you know, just, just back yourself, like literally just back yourself and the moment that you have doubt like you just need to step, step away. away yeah yeah I think I mean perfect place if we ever see if you ever see Sarah wandering around a BWS she's just trying to center herself <laughs> literally <laughs> but like do whatever you need to do if, it, if some it's of like, us go for walks yeah. Sarah goes to BWS <laughs> <laughs> but literally if that's what you need to do to like validate yeah. something do it like whatever. And particularly you know like you said too particularly when there is data yeah that can reinforce that decision making that yep. is powerful yeah um when there are subjective and i think this is something that i struggle with sometimes when a lot of what we do can be subjective you're like well i just head versus heart like yeah. I, I i don't know yeah. um and a lot of the time you know oh look at something can be like yeah i think that's on that looks mm-hmm. amazing that's perfect and then you present it to a client or to, to, to someone else and they go hmm yeah. I don't actually, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. And gosh, it happens to all of us. But I think it's, and this is something that I harp on and on and on about with my team too, is just ask questions. Mm-hmm. If someone doesn't like it, that's okay. But what I have found, and, you know, I'm sure obviously with your experience in agency mm-hmm. as well, briefing. Oh, yes. Everyone's idea of a solid brief is two very different things. Definitely. Yeah. So how do we get to a good brief? Ask questions. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I know even, I feel like for me, um, you know, obviously I had sort of started my career in-house and then I made the leap to go agency. And what made you do that? I think for me, I'm like, I think I actually just need to get that experience. Like I always had it in my head. I'm like, I love in-house and obviously I'm back in the in, yeah. in-house environment again. But I knew like I loved in-house, but I'm like, I actually want to get this experience so that I can be a better decision maker and I can understand you know, I think for me, having that agency experience now, I can understand the challenges that agencies Well, you can work through. with us better, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah I, I know what a good brief is or looks. Well, yeah. I mean, I think I do. Um, oh, you're pretty good. Yeah, so <laughs> I try. Um, I think it just helps you understand both ends of the foot so you know how to work better, you know how to kind of make better decisions yeah, and you understand the challenges that both ends go through. You know, obviously in-house, you can have challenges with budget. Yes. Challenges with timing. Um, you know and, the conversations to have yeah. too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like how to be respectful. Um, so I think for me, I just, yeah, I think I just knew that I needed to get that experience so that I could be a better decision maker, a better marketer. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad I, I did it. Um, and I, I love, I actually love both. I'm like, oh, it's, and they're just both so different though. Correct. So different. Every, everyone I've ever had this conversation with is, always goes back to, I love them both, but yeah. they are so different. So it's like, you can't even take pieces of. I know, literally. And I think for me, like, I think what I missed as well, like when I was in agency, like having that full ownership of yeah. something. Because I'm that person like, oh, like I love to say that I came up with this and, you know, these are the results that came out of it. So, you know, when you're in agency, you still get to touch so many things and that's the beauty and that's what Mm. I love about agencies. You don't need to keep job hopping to get that experience and those touch points with different industries. 
but it's hard because you deliver a piece of work and then you might not ever see that client ever again. Yeah, there is that level of separation. Mm. Um, and I mean, obviously that comes down to the nature of the agency and the way that they want to work. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, for us, even though, you know, we've had this conversation too, but even though we might not be involved in mm-hmm. a certain part of your strategy, keep us in the loop because yeah. I might get an idea around how we can amplify that on socials. And obviously yeah. we've had these conversations before, but whilst we're not hands-on and all of that, it's still a consideration of how everything works together. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can be it can be like almost a little bit sad when you've done something and then, yeah, yeah you never see it again. Yeah. And it's like, well, whatever happened to that? And yeah. I think, you know, even when I was when I was at Right Away, you know, we produced these videos and all of these things and they just never see the light of day. Yeah. And I'm like, whatever happened to that yeah. shoot we did on the 26th of May, 2010? <laughs> yeah. So much true. content goes to waste as well. And I think that's where the, the, the purpose and the strategy comes into it as well. Like, you need to just know what you're actually doing and what you're trying to achieve. And, you know, you said it beautifully before, with your brand, everything needs to align with Mm -hmm. that ethos, with that purpose. Yeah, 100%. And everything works in in synergy. And I think as well, like like I said, working in agency and in-house, I'm like, all right, so if I'm in-house, I need to take my agency through the journey and actually spend the time briefing and getting them on board with the brand, understanding the concept so that they can then also produce great work that yep. we're then happy with and it just it works in synergy and often people you know just want to brief an agency and be like hey this is you know they'll give them a five minute rundown on the phone and be like okay cool I need you to come up with the concept and it's like all right well can you tell me a bit more who's who are you trying to target who are your customer base now what are your brand objectives like what are you trying to achieve from this so it's just about yeah, spending the time and making that investment also into into who you're working with. Time is an enigma. Um, you know, it's you're better off spending time in the beginning doing yes. things like that, right? Yeah. Because every time I've ever rushed anything, it always turns to shit. Yeah. We all know that, yeah. right? But you yep. feel it's that short-term pain, long-term gain. Yep. But it's just like in that first instance... Mm-hmm. It feels like such a drag. Yeah, yeah, oh, totally. <laughs> You're like, I just don't have the time for this. Well, we have to, you know, do it every day. And that's the thing, like when you, you know, there's so many times that you'll see a product go to market that you've rushed through because, oh, it's going to meet retailer timings or we've got to produce it at this time. And you haven't put in that solid work, you know, at the at the start when you, when you, when you need to. You see the impact. And then you're like, told you so. Yeah, yeah, like in six months, it's like, all right, deleted. Why? Like you've got to, yeah, it's time is scarce, but when you actually put it in, God, it's worth it. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. How do you find out if a product line has been deleted? Oh, we just get notified from the from the retailer. Oh, that would be like. Yeah, you get a deletion. Like, you have been deleted. Well, they give you, I, they usually give you pre-warning. That <laughs> You're it's going to be deleted. Maybe. <laughs> and then you can try and like have that battle. But yeah, it's honestly, it's, it's, it can be brutal. So retail timers, so sometimes they can actually set you the timeline that they want a product. Well, usually like like they have a review period. So mm-hmm. it will be like on this date we're reviewing, we're doing opening a review to white spirits. Right. So that's where you would present any NPD that is based around white spirits. Yep. And then, you know, six months later they'll do one for dark spirits. So you've got to be ready for those times. And if you miss them, you'll miss a ho- like a whole year. Yep. You have to um, wait for the next intake, basically. Basically. I mean, yeah. they, they can do like 
um, random reviews at different times, but it's it's such a and they can push it out, they can push it forward. It's it's crazy. So like, you're kind of at their mercy to a degree. Yeah. Oh, they've got all the power. <laughs> so do they plan those dates in advance or do you randomly just get like a notification being like, just FYI, we're doing a review of White Spirits in 90 days? Yeah, I mean, I, usually there is a bit of a plan, but like I said, it can change so often. And if, you know, someone new comes in and they want to push it forward, push it back, like, yeah, wow. yeah it's super, you're, you're really guided by that in terms of your timings and yeah, it's like, you, cool, you can produce a new product, but if there's not an opening, what's the point? Because that's the channel well, you sell it through. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. How have you, well, how do you kind of balance the energies across real life, retail, mm-hmm. e-commerce, and then obviously just general brand, and then obviously the visitor centres as well? How does that all kind of tie in together? Yeah, it's, it's, it's so hard because, you know, they're all super separate channels and they mm. all need different things. So, I mean, I guess we try and we're really lucky in the sense that we've got, you know, our sales department that work in, you know, they've got, you've got your independence channel, you've got your nationals channel, we've got our VC team, um, you know, we've got our e-commerce team. So we will just try and work in synergy as much as we can. And, and you know, when we're putting these new products forward, everyone's kind of involved and they can put their forecast through and say, all right, cool, this product probably not going to work for my channel. Even exports, another one that yeah, we have to factor in. True. So then we sometimes often create products that are just for export. Um, we can create products that are exclusive to only one channel. So say like a Dan Murphy's, that's yep. an exclusive. So that can't be sold in any other chain. Um, and you know we can't even promote it in our own visitor centers and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah so right. it can be that granular, or there can be products that kind of suit all channels. And then people like all those channels get a say in how much they want to forecast for the year and say, you know, yep, this product's going to work for me. I want this many cartons per year. And then we'll produce based on those forecasts. Yeah, okay. And they obviously have the robust data to back why they're saying. Why they're saying that. Yeah. 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 That's really interesting. Yeah. It's very complex. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, again, you know, there are so many variables. Mm. So many variables. And if a competitor comes in with the same product and they launch it before you, it's like, ah, uh, cool. You, how do you like... I know copyright's not really like a thing in products, but like, can you like patent formulas and things like that? Is that a trick question? Yeah, I think it's a trick question. Hmm. Yeah, you got me on that one. If anyone knows, if you can, because like, it's almost like, again, I could be so wrong on this, but like skincare formula, Mm. that, because you have to obviously give ingredients and things like that, that if I went and literally created that on my own, could you sue me? I mean, like, think about how many other, you know, say a classic London dry style yeah. gin. There's so many of them, but... They must be all made the same. This is what I don't understand. Yeah. I find, you know, for me, particularly the gin space, yeah. I was never really a gin drinker. Mm-hmm. Um, we did some work with um, Ambleside Distillery a couple yeah. of years ago. Actually, when I first started the business, and I tell you what, that opened my eyes to the world of gin. <laughs> yeah, it's a big... Big fish. I had never understood the demand. I never understood the different variants. I never understood even just, you know, the actual how to make the bloody thing mm-hmm. um, and how fussy people are. And there is yeah. a lot of brand loyalty. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yes, from the dry flavor profile, but do you think people are a little bit, I wouldn't use the word fickle, but they're a bit more adventurous with the flavored? Yeah, we're starting to see, so 
gin as a whole, especially clear gin, starting to taper off a lot. And okay. that's globally. That is globally. Um, even the, that's just because of saturation? Yeah. And like, I think people are finding their space in things like dark spirits and whiskey and rum's really hot at the moment. Tequila's really hot rum. at the moment. Yeah. Rum is great. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just consumption behaviors. Like people, people switch gears and we're, yeah, we're, like I said, globally, we're starting to see a kind of a decline in gin. But like on the upside, we're seeing a big surge in like colored gins. Yeah. Because people, there's so many. When you go to the, when you go to the store, you are just spoilt for choice in terms of like how many clear gins there are. So how do you pick? Yeah. A clear gin. They're all clear. They're all yeah. London dry style classic gins. How do you pick? So, you know, for us, it's how do we continue innovating in that category? And that's where, you know, we move to that sort of colored space. Um, you know, also that, you know, people are also loving like craft now and they're understanding botanicals a bit more and ingredients and provenance. Oh, no, too much. Yeah, like premiumization, that's starting to become like a real big thing that we're seeing in the category. Do you think that is specific to certain locations? Like some markets are into that and some don't really give a shit? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like I said, every single market is different. Like, you know, like I said, you go to Queensland and you'll speak to, you know, people in the store and ask them how they shop on gin and they'll tell you X, Y, Z. And then you'll go to SA and ask the say, you know, ask consumers how they shop on the same category and they'll give you a totally different formula. Well, it's when like, I think it's hard to, you know, we've had this conversation as well, like obviously 23rd Street is renowned in Adelaide. Mm -hmm. Like we know it, we trust it. Yep. You know, for me, I go to the bottle and I see it, it's familiar, it's safe. Mm -hmm. You don't kind of have that leg to stand on in those other markets, particularly Queensland, for example, when you've got all the Byron Bay distilleries mm -hmm. and all the... So what your point of differentiation is so different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, something that we've talked about from a marketing perspective, it's like, particularly if you can't control who's going to see it, so organic social, mm -hmm. which key message do you focus on? That's it. Yeah, it's, it's, that's, the, that's where it becomes so tricky because you can get so caught up in that too. The Riverland story. And whilst it's valuable, yeah. whilst it's got merit, some people just don't no, care. No, and, that's, yeah, <laughs> and that's okay. It's, it's exactly. And that's kind of why, you know, for me, I'm trying to move it, it's hard in different markets. Uh, you, you've got to move away from that sometimes because yeah. they don't understand it. So, it's not a value to them. It's yeah. not, um, and you know, values-based marketing as well, going, cool, what does this demographic actually value? Exactly. How can we speak to that? It's not, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. And that's the important thing as well to understand is like, cool, this might work here and you're getting great results from that here. But if you try and blueprint that and put it over there, Luck. Yeah, it's like trying to put a square in a circle. Yeah. It doesn't work. <laughs> so yeah, it's about constantly evolving and tailoring your messaging to different markets and even your, like that's why we've got such a big portfolio because, you know, we know like not everyone that loves this product here might not like it or appreciate it or understand it there. Yeah. So. Well, you simply can't be everything to everyone no. either. And, you know, I think particularly in the spirits industry, when, whenever, I'm sure you get this all the time too, whenever someone says, who is your customer? How was oh, one the piece of string? Where would you like me to start? My customer, because your customer literally can be anyone. Anyone, yep. Your customer isn't, and I don't think that your customer is a, demo, it's not a demographic mm. profile. It's like a persona. 
Yeah. Yes. And there's probably about 10 of them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, when you, you know, especially with when you're looking at white spirits, the dark spirit, totally different consumers. Like, yeah. So it's like, that's why you can't be a one size fits all. And that's why, you know, when we're tailoring our message, when we're, you know, promoting dark spirits, we have a different voice. And when we're yeah. promoting white spirits, even our look and feel of our bottles. You know, obviously. Very true. Very, very different. True. Yeah. So it's having those like line codes, like this is what our dark spirit look and feel is. The rule of thumb. Yeah. yeah. And then this is what we look like in our white spirits. And and our artwork is a consistent piece on our bottles. And, you know, we work with different artists around Australia and that's a key point of difference for us. And that's what kind of helps us, you know, set ourselves apart as well. And we can tell that story as well. And I think that story is just, it's timeless. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it never gets old. No, and, you know, even, you know, even for us on socials, whenever we're posting about the artist or, mm. you know, even showing some progress, people love it. Oh, my God, they froth. It's, they froth <laughs> it. And, you know, isn't it nice to give a local artist? I yeah. could not imagine being a, a, an artist because, I like... Know. The pressure. Yeah, yeah. The pressure. Yeah. Um, but being able to give them a little bit of support too and for them to be able to align, like, yeah. you know, we saw at the at the Soul event for the launch, an amazing launch by Sarah Thank for the, uh, the new products. Yeah. Um, the artists were so proud mm. to see their work on the bottles, to be there, to be talking to people. Yeah. It was just, it gave that personal connection, didn't it? Yeah, and I think, like, when people hear that story, because a lot of people don't, you know, they see the pretty artwork and they're like, cool, I'm going to buy it because I like the artwork. But when you actually like hear the story, like, holy shit, that's amazing. Like, yeah. And we're supporting them. They're supporting us. Like, it's a beautiful, like, two-way street and and something that we're super proud of. And again, that that sort of differentiation piece of how we can set ourselves apart from our competitors. It's something that we're doing that's unique to us and our voice. And completely irrelevant to the product. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it's so true. And I love that because I think at the... At, when you look at products mm-hmm. and a great brand, there's always something beyond the actual product or yeah. service, let's call it. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's interesting, like, how many emails I will get in a month with artists I submitting artwork. And it's so beautiful. I'm like, oh, my God, everyone's, like, they're super engaged in it. And to have people that we want to support, you know, not just be on on the on the artwork, but, like, I'm genuinely a supporter of your brand and your products and consume it and they send pictures I'm like it's it's super heartwarming See, that's I love the warm it. and fuzzies from being in-house yes. hey yeah and that's yeah. what you kind of don't get sometimes from an agency exactly that's what I was missing and I feel like I've definitely got it back yeah yeah, yeah. we'll have to wrap this up but I could talk to you forever, forever? because I love I love the gin talk um <laughs> I want to know what has been your biggest learning going into well I mean you were in product based before but what is the one thing that has surprised you about product marketing? I think, I guess every category is so different. Like you think that marketing, you know, like I went from being at San Remo and marketing pasta and I'm like, oh, so I'm going to go into FMCG or, you know, food and beverage yeah. again and it will probably be the same. Hell no, it's nope. the same. No, <laughs> customers are different. The landscape is different. Yeah. Um, just how time changes and what evolves in marketing and how you do things is so different. It's so important to be in tune with that. I think the biggest thing that surprised me is just how different everything is and how ever-changing everything is and how much you need to stay on top of your game like at all times. And yeah, just every category is just got its own 
fascinating thing about it. And yeah. Even I, though it's under the one brand umbrella. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's just, I think that's kind of surprised me the most is just how different marketing can be in different aspects and different territories. And yeah, like, you know, especially when I first started, I was like, oh, cool, we can do this campaign and we can just do it in every state. And like, no, uh-uh. because they don't understand that, you know, that style of campaign or that, you know, people won't engage with this product and things like that. So I think it's just, you know, the biggest wake up thing was for me was realising that it's not a one shoe fits all approach yeah. for everything. Challenge accepted, hey? Yeah, literally. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me and thank you so much for your insight. Thank you for having me. You have achieved so much already in your role and I just know the next six to 12 months is going to be massive. So keep an eye out, guys. (laughs) Buckle up, buckle up. As always, if you have any questions for myself or for Sarah, you can join our Facebook group, Digitalks. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. Guys.